We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Get ready to talk some baseball. Welcome to the King's Corner, talking baseball with Jim Layritz. From spring training to the World Series and beyond to the postseason, Jim and his guests tell it like it is and have all of the bases covered. Now, here's Jim Layritz. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, depending on where you are listening from. Again, you heard it. Welcome to the King's Corner. Talking Baseball with Jim Lyritz, and this week we're starting a day early. We're actually going to be taping this show because I'll be on a plane to New York tomorrow and won't have time uh, to be able to do the show. So we won't be able to talk about who the World Series winner is. We may have one, uh, depending on what the weather does in St. Louis today. But we will, uh, we will discuss that next week. On next week's show, we will talk about who the World Series winner is and what's coming up in the offseason for some of the teams. Uh, but that will be next week's show. But right now... We are going to talk baseball with Mark Feinstein, New York Daily News sports reporter, uh, beat reporter for the New York Yankees, out there in St. Louis covering, and we'll be talking to him in just a minute about what is going on out there, what is happening, what, what, are we going to have a game tonight, is the rain cleared up, uh, is there enough talk about Tony LaRusso's moves in the bullpens and things like that, is that done with, uh, and what's going to be happening here in, in, in game six tonight uh, in St. Louis. So we'll be talking to him in just a second. Uh, coming up in the second part of the show, we will have also uh, emails. Uh, finally, finally, after four shows, we are starting to get some emails and some phone calls. So the second half of the show, we will discuss a couple emails that I've received this week and, and talk about those. But uh, without any further delay, I would love to bring in, and hopefully staying dry out there in St. Louis, Mark Feinstein, New York Daily News beat reporter for the New York Yankees. Mark, how are you doing out there? I'm good, Jimmy. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm actually in Florida where uh, we're a little cloudy and overcast and expecting some rain here, but uh, what is the forecast out there today? No, the forecast out here is for uh, for rain-free skies. It's uh, a little chilly. It's going to be in the 40s tonight around game time, but uh, they say the, the rain should be gone by then. And, uh, you know, the, part of the reason they, that they postponed uh, game six initially last night uh, was that they had a good forecast for the next two days. So uh, MLB is pretty confident that uh, now that they've gotten last night's postponement out of the way, uh, they'll be able to get game six in tonight and then, uh, if necessary, game seven in tomorrow night without any weather problems. Well, let's talk about that first. The delay. What does this do? Do you think? What do you think, Mark? As far as does this give the the, the Cardinals an advantage, or does it give the Rangers an advantage, or does it just say, hey, listen, it's an off day, and everybody else gets an extra day of rest? 
Well, I don't think you really give anybody an advantage when it comes to Game 6. They're both going to stick with their starters. It's still going to be Colby Lewis and, and Jaime Garcia. Um, so I don't think it's going to have much of an impact on Game 6. Uh, obviously, it gives a couple of banged-up guys, Hamilton and whatnot, a chance to, to rest up a little more. Um, you know, it may add an arm or two to the bullpen uh, in terms of, uh, you know, Derek Holland with Texas or, uh, you know, Kyle Lewis from St. Louis. Uh, where I think it really will come into play is if the Cardinals are able to force it to a Game 7, uh, you know, they'll be able to throw Chris Carpenter on three days rest. So, uh, something they would not have been able to do otherwise. So, uh, if they do get it to seven, then I think the rain out, uh, certainly benefited St. Louis more than, uh, than Texas. Ron Washington is insistent that he's going to start Matt Harrison in game seven if there is one, not Derek Holland. I'm not sure I really understand that move. Uh, Harrison couldn't get out of the fourth inning of his game, uh, and Holland pitched, you know, uh, the best game by a, you know, a lefty starter since Andy Pettit in, in 96. So uh, I'm not really sure why Washington is sticking with that, but he claims that he is. Well, we also know, too, that anything could change if, this, if it does go to a Game 7 because, um, you know, we have not been to a Game 7 since 2002. And, uh, you know, it, the, the, the situation we may have is, okay, we, as you know, Mark, it's all hands on deck when we get to a Game 7. So I'll be interested to see. Now let me ask you a question as far as Chris Carpenter. Now I know that's their ace. I know that's the guy that they want to see. But as a former player, any time that I got to see a, a pitcher, three times in such a short period. I always thought the advantage was more to my favor than their favor. What do you think about that? Well, I think you're probably right. I mean, this would be, uh, you know, his third start of the series, but, uh, you know, he handled them pretty well in the second start. And usually I think, uh, you know, if, if a team sees a guy and then gets to see him five days later, I agree that the offense typically has the advantage. Um, but it didn't seem to really hinder him in, in uh, game five. So uh, I think when you, you know, when you're, when you're a pitcher of his level, uh, you may throw the rules out the window a little bit. You remember, you know, in 2001, uh, the Yankees saw more than, more than enough of Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson and couldn't do anything with them either time. Any of those five times they saw them, so uh, you know if you're going to if you're going to do it with a guy, you know, a guy like Carpenter is probably one of the few pitchers you you really have the, the faith in to, to go back there for Game Seven. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Yeah. Now let me ask you another question. As far as since it was an off day, of course, you know, with the, the media had a little bit more time to talk to Tony LaRusso, talk about what happened. Uh, of course, the big talk right now is this bullpen dilemma that they they ran into and. Uh, let me let me hear what you have to say as far as what 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 you're hearing, and I think you know one of the things I thought Tony has done a good job is really taking the heat and, and, and not, not deflecting it to the players and not letting it affect the clubhouse. But what have you what have you taken from what uh, what he said so far? Well, he's definitely fallen on the sword. There's no question about it. He's he's taken 100 percent of the blame for everything that happened. Uh, I, I still don't know that I believe the whole story. Uh, I think um, you know if he had, if he had wanted to stall. Uh, when Napoli came up to bat, if he had wanted to stall enough to, to get Mott ready to, to come in to face him, he could have. I mean, you could have had your pitcher throw the first ten times. You could have had a trip to the mound. You could, there's a lot of things you could have done. He could have gone after the umpire and just started telling him, hey, look, we had a problem with the bullpen phone, uh, and that could have been a three-minute conversation. So uh, I'm not sure that I buy uh, everything he's trying to sell, but I'll give him credit for you know, putting it squarely on himself. He's not blaming the phone. He's not blaming the crowd. He's not blaming the bullpen coach. Uh, you know, maybe Dave Duncan, uh, had something, you know, should have been doing something that he didn't and, and Lurus is covering for him. Uh, whatever it is, uh, it was clearly a, a tactical error or, uh, you know, something that, that cost them. I just, you know, knowing Larusa, watching him manage over these years and knowing how attention to detail he is, um, 
I just find it hard to believe that he wouldn't have had the matchups ready that uh, that he wanted, which leads me to believe maybe maybe his plan all along was for uh, was for Sepchinski to face Ma to face uh, Napoli, and you know when it backfired and everybody asked him about it, he sort of just started talking. So I, I'm not really sure exactly he handled it well uh, afterwards, and uh, you know good for him for doing that. Uh, but but all those all those little screw ups may have uh, you know may have ultimately cost him the World Series. Now, let's talk a little bit about the starting pitching so far in this series. I mean, we've had all but one game being a, being a really good pitcher's duel, and, of course, the bullpens have played a big part. Um, this extra day of rest obviously gives them some, some advantages for, for both teams. Who do you look at, and what do you look at? I mean, I know the starting pitching is important, but it's going to come down to the bullpens. Who do you feel like has, has the advantage now? Well, you know, I think St. Louis' bullpen probably still overall a little deeper. You know, if you looked at it before the series, uh, you would have looked at Agondo as being a big piece of the bullpen, but he's had a, just a dreadful series. Uh, I don't know that you can necessarily trust him in a big spot at this point. Um, but I think tonight it's really going to be about the starters. I mean, you look at what uh, at what Lewis and, and Garcia did in their Game 2 matchup, and, you know, it was, a, it was a one nothing game going into the ninth. And, uh, you know, we've got, you've got Garcia coming off of, you know, seven shot innings. Uh, Lewis pitched a great game himself. So, uh, you know, the two of them, if they can repeat that, Obviously, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be another low scoring affair here in St. Louis. And, you know, with this ballpark and 40 something degree weather, I don't expect to see a slugfest. But, um, you know, the other, the other place in the bullpen where I, you know, I know Feliz has gotten the job done every time they've asked him to this postseason. Uh, but it hasn't been easy. He keeps putting the leadoff guy on. Uh, he's always in trouble. He's always flirting with this and that. And who knows? If Pujols takes that ball four, uh, instead of swinging at it on the hit and run in the ninth inning, all of a sudden he's got first and second, nobody out. Uh, you know that could have changed the complexion of that game as well. So uh, I like, uh, you know, I know Larissa gave Mott that quick hook uh, in game two, which I, I didn't really understand either. Um, but uh, I do like Mott a little better than Feliz, just in terms of, uh, you know, he had given up I think one one base runner in his first twenty eight that he faced before that game. All right, and let's talk a little bit about what's going on there in St. Louis. And of course, you know, being back in St. Louis, came six and seven. Of course, you know, the, the, the National League having the advantage because of the, the All Star Game, uh, being back there. But one of the, I think, some of the under, underlying issues or what's going on, and I think they've done, kept it pretty quiet, is this could be Albert Pujols' last game or last two games in a St. Louis Cardinals uniform, and maybe possibly Tony La Russa too. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you hear as far as being in St. Louis. You know, you had the extra day off. You might have been able to talk to some few people in some of the restaurants or somewhere around there to get an idea. Are they talking about that at all, or is that just kind of a second, secondary subject right now? Uh, it was it was a lot of the talk at the beginning of the series. I think now that they're down to this part where you know it's sort of do or die, and they realize that the you know the series is on the line tonight, and especially I think it's a game set tomorrow. Uh, the team and the series is really the talk of the town right now. That said, I think once you would get to the ballpark tonight, I think you'll hear thunderous ovations for Pujols when he comes to the plate. Uh, if the game is decided, uh, you know, in the Rangers' favor, when he comes to bat for the last time, I think you'll hear. Uh, an incredible reaction for Pujols with the, uh, you know, possibility of him taking his last at bat in a Cardinals uniform. Um, you know, fans are in tune with that kind of thing. And you remember back in 01 when, uh, 
you know, when Paul O'Neill took the field in that game seven, or in game five, rather, when the you know, Yankee fans knew it was going to be his last game, most likely, uh, you know, in Yankee Stadium, uh, fans are aware of this kind of stuff. And obviously, with what Pujols means to this city, uh, there's no question that, uh, you know, the fans there tonight and, and possibly tomorrow uh, are going to, you know, realize that there's a chance. I think he'll end up back in St. Louis, so there's a chance that, uh, you know, that they'll be watching his final games with the Cardinals. Yeah, so you would think maybe possibly if if there is if the Cardinals are getting you know beat up pretty good and by about the seventh or eighth inning maybe Tony La Russa, you know does the in the middle of an inning just says okay let's let's replace him and give him the ovation. I'd, I'd like to see something like that because I, what he's meant to that city and what he's meant to that team and you know just kind of uh, maybe just to say hey listen you know you better bring this guy back because uh, cause he means a lot to this organization. But uh, one of the things I was throwing out there last time, Mark, is all the things going on with the Cubs. What would it be like if Theo Epstein got to the Cubs and brought in Tony La Russa and Albert Pujols? <laughs> that, would, uh, that would ramp up the rivalry a little more, I would think. Uh, <laughs> I think that would, that would certainly make for uh, quite a splash for Theo in his first year with the Cubs. Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see uh, – to see the Cubs take a run at Pujols, uh, I don't, you know, I don't think Larus is going anywhere. I think, uh, I think he and the Cardinals will get that wrapped up pretty quickly. Uh, you know, unless unless he and Pujols decide together to go somewhere as a package deal, uh, but I, I don't, I don't see that happening. I think uh, ultimately, I think both of them wind up back in St. Louis next season. All right, give me a prediction. We got Game Six tonight. Uh, give me a prediction. What do you think? You think we're going seven, or will it be decided tonight? You know, the way this series has gone, I've, I've thought since game three that this was destined for a seven-game series, so I'm going to stick with that. I think uh, Garcia comes up with another big night tonight, and, uh, you know, the Cardinals scratch out enough runs against Lewis, and I think uh, I think we're headed for a Chris Carpenter on three days rest, game seven. All right, we're going to take a quick break right here, Mark. We're going to come back, and on, this, on the other side, we're going to talk about the Yankees because, uh, of course, now that the Red Sox have finished doing some of their things and, and making their moves, the Yankees are going to be now in the news of some of the things that are going on, and we'll come back with you and we'll talk about, you know, C.C. Sabathia opting out, whether Brian Cashman's contract is complete. Is Robinson Cano's agent not happy about his two option years? And, of course, uh, you know, is Nick Swisher going to be resigned? So we'll talk about all that when we come back from a break, and we'll be right back with Mark Feinstein. And New York Daily News beat reporter for the New York Yankees. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for us at keyword voice America. Jim Lawrence is a two-time World Series champion, motivational speaker, and author of Catching Heat, a brutally honest book about the highs and lows of a professional athlete and life after baseball. Most people know Jim as a man who has always beaten the odds. Jim has never forgotten that with hard work, dedication, and God's power, one can overcome anything. Visit JimLayritz.com to get a copy of Jim's book or to schedule Jim for your next corporate fundraiser or event. The address again is JimLayritz.com. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, 
you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're inside the King's Corner, talking baseball with Jim Layritz. It's time to hear from you. Call in to our live show at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. You can also send an email to info at jemlayritz.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, we have Mark Feinstein, New York Daily News sports reporter for the New York Yankees. On the line, we talked a little bit about the World Series, about our predictions and what's going on there. But right now, we're going to tend to switch the dial and talk a little bit about the New York Yankees because as of now, the New York Yankees are starting to make some moves. Things are starting to happen. And once the World Series is complete, uh, I think we'll see a lot of movement. And, Mark, let's talk a little bit about the first thing first, Brian Cashman. Is Brian Cashman's deal done? Is he coming back? Is he going to be the New York Yankees general manager? Well, it's not done yet, but he will be coming back. He will be the New York Yankees general manager going forward. Uh, you know, the fact that they held their organizational meetings in Tampa the last few days uh, and that he was, you know, the man running them uh, is, a, is a clear indication that, uh, you know, both sides expect him to be the man to, to put these plans in action this winter. Uh, his contract expires on Halloween. Uh, I would expect that, uh, you know, sometime between now and then over the next, you know, four days or so, uh, that they'll hammer out the, you know, Stop their, stop their eyes and cross their T's and get everything done there. And, uh, you know, I expect he'd be, he'd be officially back in the fold, you know, within the next three or four days. All right. Well, now once they get him in place, of course, they've got a lot of other things going on. And I think the biggest concern right now, and of course, number one on their list is CC Sabathia. Now you got to cover him the whole year. You saw CC. He seems to be happy in New York. Uh, he's, he's got four years left at like 92 million, but he wants a little bit more. Uh, what do you see happening with the Yankees, and do you think they're gonna, he's going to opt out, or do you think the Yankees are going to make it, try to make as, as much of a deal as they can, and what kind of deal are they going to give him? Well, I think they would like to, you know, uh, sort of hammer out a bit of an extension with him before he actually hits the free agent market. Uh, he has until, I believe, three days after the World Series ends to opt out, so Sunday or Monday, depending on, uh, you know, how long the series goes. Uh, I think the plan is for them to talk to his agent, you know, in the next day or two, maybe three. And, uh, you know, I think he would like, he's got 492 left on the contract right now. Uh, I could see them, you know, extending that to like a six-year uh, you know, 150 type of a contract. It would be, it would make him the, you know, the highest paid pitcher by annual salary. Um, you know, it would, it would extend him for two more years, which would get him, I think, till he's 37. Uh, you know, Cliff Lee got a five year deal last year at the age of 32. CC's 31, so a six year deal would, would match that. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to try to do that now. The question is, do the, 
agent for CC Sabathia thinks that there's a team out there willing to give them more, uh, I don't know. You know, it, it's a limited market of teams that are going to be out there looking to spend $150 million, um, you know, on a guy in his 30s already. Although, you know, look, it's a very, it's a very thin free agent pitching market. So, uh, anything's possible. All you need is one other team to, uh, you know, to make a big offer, and that's all you need. But I think CC likes it in New York. He's got, a, you know, his family's sort of settled down in New Jersey, and kids go to school there, and, and I think they're very comfortable there. Uh, but it is a business, and if he has an opportunity to go somewhere else and make a lot more money, I think he will. But I, I think the Yankees want to get this done before it gets to the point where um, they're going to be bidding against other teams. Right. Of course, getting that getting that done is going to be determining whether or not, of course, as we hear in the news today, that uh, Scott Boris, as always, is making his phone calls at this time of year, trying to figure out what he can do for his clients. And one of his big clients is Robinson Cano, and Cano has two option years left coming up, and he wants those to be guaranteed and brought into. What do you think about that? And and you think do you think that's going to be a sticking point, or is that something the Yankees will try to address and say, listen, you know what, you're right, this guy is our all-star. He's one of our best, probably the American League's most dangerous hitter right now. We'll lock him up for for a number of years. Do you, th- do you see something like that happening? You know, I don't think so, Jimmy. I think, you know, the Yankees signed this deal uh, with Cano four years ago. It was a four-year deal for $30 million with these two option years tacked on at the end, uh, you know, team options. Now, you know, Boris wasn't the agent that signed that deal. Um, you know, Robinson Cano just joined Boris last year. Uh, but this, this contract is, uh, you know, it's a favorable one for the Yankees, uh, and, and I don't see any reason. There, there's, no, there's no upside for them to... Uh, you know, to scratch these option years and start fresh. Uh, first of all, you don't want to make him a free agent. You certainly don't want to let him hit the market. That will never happen. Right. Um, and quite honestly, why? Why would they? I mean, right now, he's going to make two years, twenty-nine million for these next two years uh, with those option years. Uh, Chase Utley may, will make two years. Uh, will make thirty million over the next two years, and no other second baseman will even come within sniffing range of either of those guys. So, uh, I just don't see the reason for the Yankees to go out there and. and you know, rip him up and give him a fresh contract, uh, you know, a new six- or seven-year deal. Uh, you know, Boris can, can threaten all he wants about how much it's going to cost him if he hits free agency in two years, but that's going to be the case anyway. They're just going to end up paying that now if they do that. So I don't see any way the Yankees, uh, you know, scratch these option years and, and then just give him a brand-new contract. Right, and I don't think it's any other any surprise either that Boris's other client, Soriano, he announces that he's not opting out of his uh, his option because with the injury and everything else that he had this year, I don't think he had a whole lot of of bargaining power. And uh, you know that that is, I guess, one good sign for the Yankees is to know that he's definitely going to be coming back. And I guess the other guy that I got to talk about, and you know, this is a guy that you know I, I've been hearing about this mark for years, being around the Yankees and things like that is. You know, when he first came over, a few couple guys didn't like him. They thought he was a me, me, I, I kind of guy. But he has come into that clubhouse, and he's kind of, to me, a breath of fresh air. And, and that's Nick Swisher. And he, he's got a, an option year of a t- uh, $10.75 million coming up. And after a guy that hit 23 home runs, 80, had 85 RBIs, and hit 260. But what he brings is that swagger, that personality that the Yankees have always kind of maybe downplayed. But at the same time, I think it's important for that clubhouse to keep that personality going. What do you see them doing with him, and is, is, is he going to come back? You know, it seemed all year like it was a, a given that he was going to be back, that they'd pick up that option, and I still think ultimately they will. Uh, but there's been a lot of talk now about, well, you know, some doubt about it, and, you know, it's obviously three straight postseasons that he hasn't, uh, you know, hasn't been, been effective. Um, 
I just think for for ten and a quarter million for a guy who's going to hit you twenty five home runs and drive in ninety runs, and remember those numbers that he put up this year uh, came after he didn't hit a home run until I think the first or second week of May. Uh, he was having a, just a dreadful start to the season. Um, you know, I think I think with what he does on the field, like you said, what he does off the field, and the fact that uh, if you put something in front of him to motivate him, uh, I think that's going to get him going. And the fact that he'll be playing in a free agent walk year, uh, I expect Swisher is going to have a very big year this year wherever he is. And uh, I, I do ultimately expect that will be with the Yankees. All right, and I think let me just go two more things with you. Number one will be will lead me to my next one is uh, any rumbling, any talk about the possibilities of one more year with Jorge Posada? You know, I don't think so. I, I think when you look at what Jorge uh, went through this year, sort of, you know, once they took that full-time DH job away from him, he was really a man without a role. Uh, you know, he played a few games at first base here or there. He's still DH from time to time. But when you think about what Jesus Montero did in September and the fact that the Yankees are probably going to want him to be their primary DH next year, uh, you know, mixed in with some, some DHJs for Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter and some of their aging veterans. Uh, I just don't see a role for Masada. They don't want him to be a backup catcher. Uh, they're not going to have the DH at bats for him. So I, I really don't see any way that he's back in Pinterest next year. Uh, you know, on a, on a personal level, uh, and I've, I've covered Jorge for 11 years and I, I like him a lot and I really hope he, um, takes his opportunity to, to bow out gracefully and retire because I think Having that, you know, lifelong career with one team, uh, especially the kind of career he's had with the Yankees, uh, I, I think it'd be a shame to see him, you know, finish up with a year in some very random uniform, just sort of a part-time player. Uh, that said, you know, he's 40 years old, and, and if he thinks he's got something left in him, and after watching him in the postseason this year, where he hit what 429 in the playoffs, uh, you know, that may have made him decide, you know, what I have another year left in me. Uh, I'm certainly not going to tell anybody not to earn a living for an extra year. So uh, I could see him signing on somewhere as a backup catcher slash backup first baseman. Uh, you know, maybe even in the National League and sort of be a, a you know sort of a guiding light for some of the young catchers on the team. Um, I think it's possible, but uh, I don't I don't see any any reunion with the Yankees next year. Yeah, I think he's facing the same fate that Bernie Williams faced at the end of his career too. Basically saying, okay, I can go somewhere for a year and maybe. On, but do I want to leave as a New York Yankee and as you know, leave, leaving on top like he did? So, yeah, I'd be curious to see what he does. Also, now that's, that leads me to Montero and watching this kid play a little bit, you know, and then of course watching a guy like Napoli who was considered not a, a very good defensive catcher and not not in the Angels let him go and what he's been able to do for Texas. What do you see with Montero and do you see Montero? You know, going into spring training, of course, it's Russell Martin's job, but do you see Montero slowly taking that job over? Well, I think a lot of that will depend on, on what happens the rest of the winter. If the Yankees lose CeCe uh, and they're forced to find themselves an ace somewhere, uh, I think Montero is their best trade chip, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him traded uh, for a pitcher. If he's with the Yankees some spring training, I think what they will likely do is they'll, they'll make him the backup catcher slash DH, and you'll, you'll see him DH 100 games or so. You'll see him catch 35 or 40 games. Uh, and that'll give them an idea of what kind of catcher he'll be. It'll give them an idea of whether or not, uh, you know, he's going to be skilled enough behind the plate to become a full-time everyday catcher. Russell Martin has a, you know, one year left through his arbitration eligible this winter, uh, and he'll be a free agent next year. So I think the Yankees are going to have to get themselves a feel for what Montero can do with the glove and behind the plate, uh, before they're willing to turn over the job to him. And if he can't be a full-time catcher, they're going to have to figure out, do they want this 22-year-old to be a full-time DH for his entire career, 
or, uh, you know, can they teach in the outfield or, uh, you know, sort of what to do with them. So uh, I think next year is going to be a very big year in the, in the ultimate career of, of Montero with the Yankees and sort of where he's going to fit in with them long term. All right, Mark, two questions for you before I let you go. Two predictions. Pick, pick me my World Series champ. World Series champ, I'm going to go with the St. Louis Cardinals. I like it in seven. Okay, all right. And then last but not least, your specialty going into the season next year, New York Yankees number one or Boston Red Sox? I think you go. <laughs> can I, can I, if CC Sabathia is back, I think the Yankees are still going to be the favorites in that division. Uh, I think they'll, they'll, they'll be deep enough. Uh, you know, the Red Sox are going to have to, uh, you know, it's such a, it's such a tough prediction to make now because we, both these teams are going to probably make a lot of moves over the next two months. Uh, you know, after that in January, when I see what their rosters look like, I'll have a better idea. All right, Mark. Well, I appreciate you giving us the time. We will be talking to you again in January when some of those moves are made, and we'll maybe we'll, maybe we'll get you a different prediction as, as as we see some of the moves both these teams make. But I appreciate you joining me. Uh, enjoy yourself out there at the World Series, and uh, we'll see what happens. So, uh, thanks for giving me your time. You got it, Jimmy. All right, man. Good talking to you. Yeah, that was Mark Feinstein, New York Daily News sports reporter for the New York Yankees and, of course, covering the World Series, uh, giving us lots of fine details about what's going on out there and, of course, what's, what to expect with the New York Yankees. Uh, guys, we'll be uh, right back to start the second half of the show, like I told you before. Coming up will be your emails. I've got a couple emails and some interesting things to talk about. Uh, I have some people's opinions, and I'll be giving you my opinion, just like I always told you I would. All right, telling you like it is, coming up in the second half, we will be right back with you. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Jim Lahrens is a two-time World Series champion, motivational speaker, and author of Catching Heat, a brutally honest book about the highs and lows of a professional athlete and life after baseball. Most people know Jim as a man who has always beaten the odds. Jim has never forgotten that with hard work, dedication, and God's power, one can overcome anything. Visit JimLayritz.com to get a copy of Jim's book or to schedule Jim for your next corporate fundraiser or event. The address again is JimLayritz.com. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's a tough shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left. to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports.
You're inside the King's Corner, talking baseball with Jim Layritz. It's time to hear from you. Call in to our live show at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. You can also send an email to info at jimlayritz.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. And as we start the second half of the show, like I promised you, we will take your emails. And next week's show, we will be live again, and we will be taking phone calls and your emails. So keep sending them in. I really appreciate it. And uh, not to further delay, we will go with our first email. And my first email is from Mike in St. Louis. And, of course, uh, as I was talking to Mark Feinstein about the talk of the couple off days was probably Tony LaRussa and the bullpen situation. And of course, you know, Mike's email says, what do you think happened with Tony LaRussa in the bullpen? Who do you think is to blame? And what would you, what, what, do you, who do you think this may cost their job? Ah, okay. Well, I don't know if it's going to cost anybody their job. Of course, if, if St. Louis does win, uh, I don't think it costs anybody their job. I think they just kind of, uh, sweep it under the rug a little bit, but, um, you know, in answer to the first part of the question, I, I, you know, Tony LaRusso has done a great job. He really has. I mean, this is, he's been here before. He's been in the World Series. Uh, he knows the pressure that the players are already under, and he's decided that he is going to take the brunt of this. And, uh, you know, what, is, it, is it right? Is it wrong? I think a lot of it has to do with maybe Tony really did mess up. I think there could be a possibility that he thought that, uh, uh, he didn't. He didn't think quick enough. That um, which would surprise me because Tony's usually right on the ball, but maybe not. Didn't think quick enough to be actually go out there and stall, like Mark said, a little bit to where he could have made a move. Um, I think once he found out maybe that Mott wasn't ready, that uh, things kind of just fell apart real quick. But you know, I, I'm going to just tell you this much: I was a pitching coach with Tim Raines. Tim Raines was our manager this year, and I was a pitching coach in Newark. And there were there were ballparks we couldn't use walkie-talkies. There was ballparks we couldn't see the bullpen. But I'm telling you what, I made sure one way or another that I knew who was up in my bullpen. And Dave Duncan is responsible for that. And, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this. I'm thinking no matter what, Tony's busy doing the game. Tony's busy, he's busy thinking of moves. He's thinking of different things. He's got a bench coach there, but he's also got Dave Duncan, his pitching coach, who that's his job. His job is to make sure that Tony has the right people ready. And like, like you said before, if he's thinking of going to Mott, that has to be, he has to be ready. Um, I can tell you this much. I, there, were, there were times that when I was screaming down to the bullpen and I could see that no one was up or no one, the ball wasn't, you know, being, you couldn't hear the thing. And I know a lot of people say that the noise of the World Series and the noise, they, no, no, no. You look down there, you make sure your guy's up. And I think a lot of this blame has to fall on Dave Duncan, the pitching coach, because as my as, as the pitching coach for me, I can't tell you how many times Tim Raines would turn to me and say, "Hey, is so and so ready? Hey, is, is this guy ready?" Uh, so yeah, I, I think um, it, it, it's going to be questionable. Of really, what I don't think we maybe ever will know what happened, because number one, I think Tony Larusa would have asked at least a couple times whether or not Mott was up. And if he did, that Dave Duncan would have definitely responded and known who was up in that bullpen. There was somebody up. Uh, and so that, that they, that's maybe think, well, okay, maybe they did call the wrong guy. Maybe no one, they couldn't hear the right thing. 
Uh, maybe that was a possibility, but uh, listen, it's game five of the World Series. You cannot afford to make any of these types of mistakes. And this is not, this is not somebody making a physical mistake, which you can't avoid. It's not somebody making a base running blunder that you can't avoid. Certain things like that, that happen. This is a managerial move. This is a, a strategy to the game that Tony La Russa is known for. This is a guy that, this is, this is all he does. And, uh, so I find it very, very difficult to believe that, uh, there was not some type of mistake made by somebody. You know, and I, I don't buy the, it was just the, the phone that, uh, was, was causing this. So, uh, and will we ever get to the bottom of, uh, bullpen gate? Who knows? Uh, but, it, you know, like I said before, if the Cardinals lose, it, it, there's going to be people talking about it. There are going to be people asking questions about it, which is, is rightfully so. If they win, more than likely they'll be swept under just as a, oh, just another one of those mistakes. Um, so in answer to your question, yes, uh, is, this, uh, is this a major, major situation that, uh, that has to be addressed, especially if they lose? I think it is, and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, there was also a P.S. in Mike's email to me, uh, something that I brought up to Mark Feinstein and asked him about uh, the buzz going on in St. Louis, and obviously it is the talk, is about Albert Pujols. And he's asking me, Mike's asking me, what is your opinion? Do you think Albert Pujols comes back? Well, I'll say the same thing. If the St. Louis Cardinals win the World Series, of course. Because one of the things you have to understand and, and, and one of the things you have to realize is Albert Pujols is going to make the money no matter what. He's going to be paid $25, $30 million no matter where he goes. But if they win the World Series, the advertising dollars, the uh, appearances, the special things that go on off the field that none of us ever hear about, uh, unless you're a player like myself, that you don't realize the amount of money that can be made uh, in doing that. And, and like I said, it, it, this is not a situation where, you know, when I left the Yankees in 96, that was because I was going to be in uh, more playing time uh, and I, I didn't stay and, and, and reap all the benefits of the World Series home run and all that other stuff. This is Albert Pujols. This is a guy that no matter where he's playing, he's going to play every day. It's not going to change whether it's St. Louis or Chicago or, like I said, I thought would be very interesting. It's not going to change. So I think, for me personally, that Albert Pujols, if the St. Louis Cardinals win, that he stays in St. Louis because of the publicity, of the amount of dollars that he's going to generate off the contract. I'm sorry, besides the contract. So, uh, Mike, in answer to your question, uh, I really do think it's on what the the Cardinals do in these final two games if they get it to the seven games, if they win. Um, and I really think it's a big part of it, too. Is one of the things that I'm not too sure about because I don't cover this team is the relationship that he has with Tony La Russa. If Tony La Russa stays, is that enough to keep Albert Pujols there? Is there a rift between these two? So um, I'll wait to see. The, you know, those are the things that we have to wait to see and find out uh, when Albert Pujols is getting a chance uh, to be up for his new contract. So, uh, those are the couple things that we'll wait to see and find out. And, uh, you know, if, if, if it's, that's the case, then, uh, I'm right. <laughs> if not, uh, we'll be interested to see where, where he does wind up. And, uh, so with that being said, we go to email number two and email number two is from Thomas and Thomas is from orange County. 
and uh, of course that's where I do live now and uh, make my home. Uh, and uh, Thomas's question is, and it has been a big talk of the radio since then, and it's because Mike Napoli has done so well in this World Series that his name has come to the forefront. Mike or Thomas's question to me is, Jim, what do you think? Being a former catcher. Being someone who has had a history of not, hey, wait a minute, this guy knows too much about me. Being a guy who didn't get along always with his managers, what do you think the situation was between Mike Sosha and Mike Napoli and the reason the Angels let him go? Do you think that had something to do with it? So, uh, okay, Thomas, interesting. I'm glad you knew a little bit about me. Uh, at the same time, uh, yeah, you know, it has been the talk of the radio in, in Orange County and uh, on some of the local shows uh, lately, because Mike Napoli has done so well. Um, but I want to preface the first thing is, I think people are missing the point a little bit on this. The uh, people are people are getting on the Angels for saying, "Look at you gave the Texas Rangers the World Series." You know, this was this was our fault. This was or I shouldn't say our. This was the Angels' fault that they made this trade. Um, but unfortunately, that's really not the case. The Angels traded. Mike Napoli to the Toronto Blue Jays. If you want to blame anybody in Orange County for the, the Texas Rangers beating the Angels this year, blame the Toronto Blue Jays. They were the ones that number one, you know, traded and gave the Angels number one, you know, gave the Angels Vernon Wells, who didn't do too well, but they also traded Mike Napoli to the Texas Rangers. So, uh, you know, I can't, do, I don't think we can blame Mike Sosha and the Angels so much as we have been doing uh, for the situation. Now, going back to maybe the relationships, and we were just talking about Tony LaRouche's relationship with Albert Pujols possibly being a reason Albert would stay or go. Mike Napoli's situation, yeah, you know, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't one of those situations where, uh, you know, he, Mike Sosha felt that Mike Napoli was a good enough defensive catcher. And as we know, Mike Sosha, that's what he wanted, and that's why they kept Mathis. I question, I wonder, um, but at the same time, I, I look at Mike Sosha as, as the, the manager of that club and what he's looking at, and he's looking at Vernon Wells, who has been a great numbers guy, who's put up great numbers in the past, who doesn't look like he should have been at the time towards the end of his career or have this bad of a year that he had, especially a 248 on base percentage. I mean, that you can never imagine that. Mike Sosha saw Kendry Morales as being his everyday first baseman who – was going to hit maybe 30 and drive in 100 just like Mike Napoli did in Texas. So I, I think we have to kind of maybe give Sosha a pass here and say, listen, you know, this was a situation where he saw a player, and believe me, I was, I've been in this situation before, he saw a player where he was in an organization that wasn't going to get an opportunity and he didn't feel like he should have given him the opportunity, given this guy a chance to go somewhere else and play. And I think, you know, if you would, if there was really that bad of a relationship between Sosha and Napoli, I think Napoli probably have already talked about it. Uh, you know, when he left, he would have probably said something, uh, but that was never said. That was never really talked about. So I think, you know, when we look at this situation, especially the Angel fans, uh, Thomas, you know, you being a big Angel fan, I think you got to look at it and say, listen, good, you know, happy for Mike Napoli that he got this opportunity. But I don't think we can look at the Angels. I don't think we can blame them in one bit what has gone on or what has happened because uh, you just never would have imagined 
uh, some of the things that happened. And, you know, Jeff Mathis hitting 180 or whatever he did hit this year, uh, that was something that you would have never seen either because he never looked that bad before. He looked like he was a guy that maybe was going to give Sosha a 220 hitter, was going to give him the best defensive catcher in the league. And, uh, you know, Mike Sosha thought at the time with Vernon Wells coming in and Morales coming back from injury, uh, that they would be plenty of offense to replace or to hide maybe a guy, a guy like Mathis. So, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things, like I said, I've been hearing a lot because I'm out here now living and, uh, a lot of people talking about it. Maybe they're, oh, well, that's why Tony Regan lost his job. That's not why. Uh, he was traded to the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, first. It's the Blue Jays we have to look at and say, hey, why did you, why did you trade this guy to Texas and, and kill our chances to be in the postseason? So, uh, I think that's the answer to the Mike Napoli question and, and what's going on here in, in Anaheim or Los Angeles Angels as we talk about them now. So, uh, yeah, you know, Thomas, thank you for that email. I hope I cleared up some things. I hope, uh, you know, I gave you a little bit more of an idea of what Managers and players sometimes they don't get along 100%. Or if a manager just thinks a guy needs a chance uh, somewhere else, uh, they give him that opportunity. And uh, I think that's what we're seeing with the, with the Mike Napoli situation. And um, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll have a chance to see a little bit more in the future, whether or not uh, maybe Mathis comes back and bounces back. Maybe Hank Conger, who is the other guy that was having a pretty good year for the Angels, who got hurt and uh, was sent back down and you know had some things that – but he did show signs that he may be a possible guy that they could uh, to count on next year. So uh, we'll see. And, of course, the biggest question I think the Angel fans have to ask themselves this year is what Vernon Wells shows up. Which one? The guy from last year? Who is he declining in his career? Or was that just an off year? Like everybody was talking about Derek Jeter having an off year and coming back this year and questioning whether or not he had anything left. Uh, will Vernon Wells come back next year and show the Angels he's still got a lot left? So, uh that remains to be seen, uh, and that's going to be the great thing about this offseason. Uh, after this World Series is over with and after we crown the champion, there's going to be so much, things, so much to talk about, so many things uh, coming up in, uh, in, in this offseason. Uh, believe me, during this offseason, I was kind of worried about having things to talk about uh, and what we would be talking about this offseason coming up. Uh, on a weekly basis, and uh, I don't think there's going to be anything short of conversation with the amount of moves that will be made. So uh, that's where we're at. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back with my own little editorial, and uh, we will uh, be discussing some other things going on in baseball and some of the other things that uh, we may even go to one or two more emails. I have a couple more in store I was going to save for next week, but... Uh, my guest was going to be Andy Pettit this last 10 minutes, but unfortunately Andy had a personal uh, thing that he had to take care of and wasn't able to join us. And I really wanted to talk to him, and I'll tell you in just a minute why I wanted to talk to him uh, and share some of that with you coming up in this last half. So we will be back with you in about two minutes, and we will be talking more. future of online tv is here view exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else visit voiceamerica.tv today 
Jim Lahrens is a two-time World Series champion, motivational speaker, and author of Catching Heat, a brutally honest book about the highs and lows of a professional athlete and life after baseball. Most people know Jim as a man who has always beaten the odds. Jim has never forgotten that with hard work, dedication, and God's power, one can overcome anything. Visit JimLayritz.com to get a copy of Jim's book or to schedule Jim for your next corporate fundraiser or event. The address again is JimLayritz.com. Welcome to Inside the Trenches, everyone, the interactive show that is sweeping across the nation here on Voice America Sports, simply with your host, 12-year pro football veteran, yes, of course, the voice of America, R. Cal Trula. We're bringing it to you today, starts at noon, and so does Inside the Trenches, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, bringing you the ins and outs, letting you know what's going on in and around sports and also in and around your neck of the woods. So if you want to be on the show and you want to be a part of the show, simply go to InsideTheTrenches.com and let's make this this thing happen for you, the interactive show that is sweeping across the nation, inside the trenches, your show. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're inside the King's Corner, talking baseball with Jim Lairitz. It's time to hear from you. Call in to our live show at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. You can also send an email to info at jimlayritz.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining us for this last segment. And in this last segment, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, who my guest was going to be was Andy Pettit and talk a little bit about why I was going to have him on as a guest. And, uh, well, we'll get right to that right now. But I was going to have Andy Pettit on uh, basically because I wanted to talk to him about World Series, you know, the pressures going into games. Um, but I also wanted to talk to him because uh, I was his catcher, and uh, we had a very similar game uh, in 1996. Uh, as they did in games, as, as they did with uh, Derek Holland, with the Texas Rangers had, and the eight and the third that he pitched uh, in his game, uh, in, in game uh, in game four, and uh, you know, oddly enough, Andy Pettit was game five of the 1996 World Series, and I was going to talk to Andy a little bit about it and just about what he felt like, and uh, you know, I can tell you from a catcher standpoint, um, it was it was nerve wracking, and. Uh, you know, I look at the numbers and, and everything was fairly fairly similar with with Derek Holland's game and uh, you know it's uh, it's interesting. Most people don't understand that you know, you, go, you play a 162 game season and it's not that big of a deal. Uh, it's kind of routine. You get into the routine of playing every day and things like that. But then when you get to the playoffs, it takes it to a, a one level. But then you get to the World Series and it takes it to a whole different level and. Uh, you know, it's it's really interesting because you know our game in '96 was a one nothing game, and really that's what the difference I wanted to talk about with Andy because he had no room for error. Uh, one mistake and the game was tied up. Um, you know, Holland had a little bit a little bit extra room, but one of the things I was going to talk to him about was um, just how he felt and uh, you know and, and, and try try to get his perspective because I know how I felt. I mean, I sat back there and 
every pitch that was thrown, um, everything that was going on was just such a such a level of, of uh, nerves um, and, and thinking. And you know, we talk about the game sometimes when we're behind the plate and how uh, catchers have to think about you know the next hitter, what's going on, and uh, all those things come into play. And I think you know one of the things that really stood out to me in that '96 game um, was the fact that we had men on um, men on first and second, and uh, John Smoltz was bunting, and he bunted it back to Andy Pettit, and Andy Pettit. Threw, or I'm sorry, no, John Smoltz was running, um, and, and they 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 bunted. Uh, to try to get the guys over, and Andy, just you know, came right out of the chute and threw to third base without even thinking, and we got the lead runner. And then the next pitch was Chipper Jones, uh, it was a ground ball back to him, and he turned a double play to get out of that inning. And you know, you kind of look back and things like that as as being the uh, the moments uh, that uh, that you remember. And uh, you know, just sitting there watching that game with Derek Holland, I it just it brought back a lot of memories, and I just wanted to kind of share that with people and. And give you a little idea what I was going through uh, as the catcher and how nerve-wracking that was. And, of course, John Wetman coming in and getting the final out uh, was pretty big. Okay, so, all right, that's my little trip down memory lane. Um, but, you know, those are the things that we go on throughout this World Series. And one of the things I've really enjoyed, of course, during this World Series is uh, the guys that have just become the heroes, guys that become that you don't expect. I mean, we know Albert Pools. Of course, we don't think he's going to hit three home runs in one game, and that was a great moment. Um, but we know guys like that are going to step up. We know when you know the Derek Jeters win the World Series; they're going to come up. It's it's the other guys that we don't know about. Um, and I think this this Texas Rangers team has been everything about that. Uh, you know, he had Nelson Cruz in the first two rounds, just hitting home run after home run after home run, uh, stepping up and being the hero. And of course, he is a he's one of the bigger names, but he's not Josh Hamilton. He's not Michael Young. He's not the guys that you usually hear about. Um, and then, of course, Napoli, uh, what he has been able to do. And, um, you know, I can tell you from being a very similar type player who, you know, just said, listen, give us a chance, give him a chance. Man, what he has done with his chance. Uh, you know, this is a guy that only caught 61 games during the regular season. You know, um, we knew he could do, you know, social and those guys said, listen, we know what he can do offensively. There's no doubt about that. Um, but and like I said, and, but but his defensive skills were something that were were coming into question. Well, he got to catch 61 games. Obviously, he got better. And some of the things that we talked to, you know, you read in the paper and you talk about they, that the Texas Rangers said they worked with him on was his footwork. They worked on with him, you know, blocking balls and and doing all these things. And sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes when you're stuck with a ball club that doesn't promote you or doesn't feel like you know you don't feel like there's anywhere to go to get extra time to play or anything like that. Maybe that's how Mike Napoli felt there. And I think uh, you're, what you're seeing is a guy finally getting that opportunity. And I think he's caught like 15 of the 17 postseason or something like that games. And what he's been able to show defensively and throwing out runners, you know, he threw out a runner to end the game the other night. I mean, what this guy has done uh, is what the postseason's all about. It's about other guys stepping up and being heroes. Because when you come down to it, you're not going to pitch to the Albert Pujols. You're not going to pitch. Yeah, to the Josh Hamiltons. It's the little guy that's going to have to come through in some of these close games and some of these big moments. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. I, I, I sit back and watch Mike Napoli, and it's been just such a great, great thing to watch a, a guy come into his own. And, uh, you know, what, what you really have to do is sit back and you wait till next year 
and see what this does for him. Because I, I can tell you from 96, after hitting the home run and going on to the next year, the confidence level, once the season started, went to a whole different level. I think you're going to see Mike Napoli defensively, not offensively because he's always been there, but defensively turn out to be a pretty special catcher and uh, some guy that could be, uh, which right now in the American League and actually in the major leagues, is uh, few and far between are these catchers that are the Pudge Rodriguez's of the day, like guys that can do both offense and defense and be the top of their game at both. And I think uh, we're seeing that on the big stage that Mike Napoli is a guy that, that, that could be reckoned with. So, uh, like I said before, we next show, next week we're going to have a show that uh, we're going to be able to talk about the World Series champ, who it might be. We're going to have a show to talk about the, the offseason. And, of course, leading up to the winter meetings that happened in December, I think it's December 5th to December 8th this year in Texas, uh, that they will have the winter meetings where uh, there's going to be a plethora. I use that word not lightly. There's going to be so much movement, so many things going on from GMs to new GMs being in place, making moves to make their teams better, to give themselves a chance to win. You know, the question marks are going to be starting to be answered, whether Theo Epstein is going to give these Chicago Cubs possibly a ball club or a foundation of a ball club to maybe get their first World Series in, you know, in so many years, uh, like he did in Boston, and whether or not, uh, you know, he can, he can work that magic there. So interesting offseason coming up. I'm looking forward to it. Like I said before, we are going to be on here every Friday from 9 to 10, uh, and I want your emails. Next week we'll be live. I want your phone calls. Uh, ask me some questions. Challenge me. Give me something to talk about. Uh, you know, because you know you're going to get my opinion. You know you're going to get what I think. Um, and my experience in the game should be able to help you answer some of those questions. So please call us in at one eight 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 three four six nine one four four next week or email me at info at jimlayritz.com. And uh, next week when we, when we air, I will read some of your emails. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we can start getting enough emails to where I can pick a winner each week and in your emails include your phone number because we may just call you and give you your chance on the radio, give you a chance to say what you want to say, give your opinion. And uh, I look forward to, to, to those emails and, and maybe getting somebody a chance. So once again, let's wrap it up. This is the King's Corner, and I'm Jim Lairitz, and we are talking baseball. We will see you next week. Friday from 9 to 10. Have a good day. We're safe for another week. Thanks for tuning in to the King's Corner, talking baseball with your host, Jim Leyritz. We can't wait to have you come back next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great weekend. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.